When you're racing down the Purpose Highway, we want to make sure you're healthy and happy every step of the way. That's why we're proud to partner with It's Nola, 21st century plant-based healthy granola snack bites made with real ingredients and audacious flavor. It's Nola crafts small batch hand-rolled granola balls that are vegan, gluten-free, and naturally low in sugar. Locally made in Brooklyn, It's Nola's delightful bites come in three flavors, luscious cranberry coconut, sassy mango masala, and dark, decadent, chewy chocolate. It's Nola is available to both individual customers and for wholesale accounts at itsnola.com. That's I-T-S-N-O-L-A.com. Guests on this show are already enjoying this delicious snack. Check out It's Nola's website for yourself and find out how good it is. everybody it's scott mason revving up for another race down the purpose highway if you like what we're doing be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a positive review on apple or a nice set of comments on youtube we'd really appreciate that and sitting with us in the front seat today are eben alexander and karen newell eben alexander a neurosurgeon and Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard University, as well as a number one New York Times bestselling author, shared the story of his near-death experience, how that transformed his view of science, brain, and consciousness, and began to talk about what emerging science has to say about the meaning of everything that he went through from a cosmic and a personal perspective. We pick up today as he begins to talk more in depth about what is beneath the tip of the iceberg that his near-death experience was just a part of. Let me ask both of you this. And you've hinted at it to some degree already, but my little mind just needs a straightforward answer. What is consciousness? Why do we have it? Consciousness is is very simple. It's awareness of existing. You know, all of us as human beings, we're aware of existing. We're aware of our environment. We know we are. Just as um, Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Well, I would modify that very slightly and just say, I am aware of my thoughts and therefore I am. It's that awareness that is something Karen and I often teach people to cultivate because the ego mind, that little voice in your head, is not who you truly are. So many of us identify with that. I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls that running stream of thoughts in the head, the annoying roommate. Mm. Yes, that is not your consciousness. Your consciousness is the awareness of that. And in meditation, Karen uh, is a beautiful teacher of how to uh, identify that observer, that kind of neutral observer, put your little, uh, you know, impish teenager ego voice Mm -hmm. into timeout 
and start to develop a relationship across the veil of that primordial mind by this deeper understanding of uh, that existence. It's really the self-awareness of the exist of the universe and sentient beings have access to that layer of integration. Karen, I actually wanted to turn the conversation specifically over to you next. When reading about you, one of the words that kept coming up was heart-centered consciousness. I'll keep it real with y'all because I just, I can't help myself. Y'all are so real, so I've got to do the same. I've got a hard time with that phrase. It just sounds very syrupy. It sounds very overly tender. It, it seems to lack muscularity. What do you say to someone like me who hears words like heart-centered consciousness and, and wants to cringe inside? Am I just being a jerk? How can you, how can someone like me hear what that is and appreciate what you're getting at? Well, um, you know, I'm going to answer your question by telling you a very quick story of when Evan and I met, because in the context of this, I think you'll understand. And when I first met him, I knew he had had a near-death experience. His book wasn't out. I didn't know his story, but I had known others who had had near-death experiences. And I knew that they usually came back with these very profound lessons, usually very personal. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, just making conversation, what was that big lesson that you learned after your near-death experience? And he says to me, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I was confused and I said, well, why would anyone think that it does? And that just showed how much further away from that materialist thought I already was. And I, I asked him, I said, well, what about the love? That everyone talks about this love that you encounter. And he said, well, of course I encountered that, but you can't bring that back here. That's for over there, it's so powerful. And I said, well, I've touched that love. I know others who've touched that love. It may not be that intense love that you're talking mm -hmm. about because I had I wasn't there, but I have felt it. And I believe you can bring that into the world. And so he was all up here in his head with everything. And very often when people are, you know, trying to get out of their head, let's say if you're just trying to empty your mind, those thoughts are just coming and coming and coming. And if you want to escape them, it can be very challenging. One way to do that is to move your awareness from your head to your heart. So you kind of move away from that annoying roommate. You move away from the intellectual understanding of all of this, and you move to a more feeling state, a more intuitive understanding of all of this. So heart consciousness, however, whatever that is triggering in anyone who has that sort of reaction, it really just means working from a more intuitive space rather than from an intellectual space. Because as Eben will tell you, that intellect is not always your friend because it's telling you what's right and what's wrong. And it may not be correct, whereas your intuition, you can open up more to that feeling state of reality and really knowing the truth from how you feel rather than tru the truth from how you think. And so that's how I would explain heart-centered consciousness. It's just moving more into that feeling space. What is your response to those who hear something like that and say, that's everything that's wrong with this country. Anti-intellectual, intellect is bad, thinking is bad. Intellect is not bad. What we need to find is a balance. And so if you're 
only intellectual, you're not, uh, you're not really experiencing the full of life. And if you're only emotional and heart-centered, you're not experiencing the fullness of life. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance we need to find between, I usually say, between the head and the heart, mm -hmm. between the mind and the heart. And so when Evan always talks about one mind, you know, we're all connected through this one mind. I think naturally we immediately go to our thoughts, how we connect through our thoughts, know what each other's thinking, communicate information to each other. But there's another thing that's going on that's not involving any words, and that is our energetic connection. And it comes through the heart. HeartMath Institute in California has been studying the heart for decades. They found that it naturally emits an electromagnetic field, and it happens to expand and contract based on your emotional state. So if you're in a very joyful state, it's a much more expanded field than if you're in, say, an angry or depressed state. It's a much smaller field. But what's so interesting is this field is influencing the people around you without having to say a word. So becoming more aware of this taking place, I think would do all of us a, a, a service because many of us, we walk into a room and we feel a certain way around someone. Mm -hmm. If you consciously know and are aware that your feelings are being broadcast to the world around you, mm. for me, it's quite a motivation to learn more about what's going mm -hmm. in my, on in my heart mm -hmm. so that I don't have wounds and you know, suppressed anger and things like that that are influencing people around me. So that's the value of heart-centered consciousness. And I just want to make clear one thing that you said that's intriguing. Are you physically talking about the heart or are you talking about the heart as a metaphor or both? I'm talking about the electromagnetic field of the heart can, that can be measured with a device. So this is in the materialist realm. Electromagnetism is within this realm. And so it's the electromagnetic field that's being measured. And that's the field that's being correlated with emotional states. You all have said, we are the universe. We are evolving it. What does that mean? It means, and I'm sure Evan will have something to say too on that. It means that each of us, our thoughts, our emotions, our beliefs, our attitudes, our intentions, all of that is contributing to our unfolding reality. So you can experiment that in your own life. I know I did when I was very young and it was my brothers who constantly teased me and I would react very, very nicely from their point of view, but it was infuriating to me. They would say certain words and send me into a frenzy. And finally, I realized that if I changed my, I experimented and I started changing my behavior by not reacting to those things they would say. Lo and behold, over time, they stopped teasing me. And I learned as I went through life that if I was in a situation where people weren't maybe behaving in the way I wanted, that I had to change my behavior, mm -hmm. my thoughts and attitudes, and that is what would make a difference. And so this can be applied to really anything in your life. You are having an influence on what's going on, whether you realize it or not. And when you combine the totality of all of our individual minds into that one mind or one heart, as I like to say, mm -hmm. one mind heart, all of that together is contributing to our unfolding reality. Now we don't understand the mechanism of how it all works. That is something that Evan is 
is just frantically uh, interested right. in finding. That's the magic for all of the scientists is what is that mechanism? Yeah. For me, it's experiment in your own life, change your behaviors and attitudes and mm. see if things around you change. And I know that when I first started spending time on my inner world, as I say, mm -hmm. learning how to quiet the mind, how to mm -hmm. release suppressed emotional traumas from long ago. Mm -hmm. Once I started to do all of that, my outer world changed in ways I could never have imagined. And so as much as I wanted to change my job, live somewhere else, get out of a relationship, once I started to focus on my inner world, all that seemed to take care of itself. And so getting more aligned with that more authentic purpose of why you're here and not your job or your, you know, what, what you're doing in this world, but how are you being in this world? That is where we can really start to make a difference. But right. I, I think you probably have something to say oh, on I how it all works. Oh, well, I would add, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinating by mechanism. I mean, to yeah. me, getting deeply into uh, uh, quantum physics, and especially as they're applied to the ion channels and synaptic clefts of neurons in the brain, I'm convinced that there, there are some great uh, and beautiful secrets there about how uh, this world works, but it has to do with uh, identifying uh, the exact mechanism of this kind of top-down causal principle of organization. And I believe that the scientific pursuit uh, can make a lot of progress on that over the, la over the next decade or so. It's hard to leave me speechless. <laughs> I'm just saying. But you all have, because again, there is so much layered into what you're saying. Karen, I'm going to turn back to you and then I'm going to turn over to you again, Evan, because both of you went into different realms that deserve a little more um, exploration. Karen, what you're saying about changing and refocusing your inner world and seeing outcomes in the outer world is something I will say really speaks to me. One of my foundational stories, and this is someone, something I would tell anyone, was that for many, many years of my life, perhaps as an attorney and an executive, it would be understandable that this would happen. I was purely concerned with material achievement. That was my drive. And it wasn't until a cascading series of events occurred in my life that almost against my own will, I was forced to shift my focus to service, to what I'm here for, to attuning myself to why a larger font of power somewhere out there had given me what it had. And one of the weird things is things in my life did shift. If I had told myself that I would be having this conversation and relating to those specific things that you had said 20 years ago, I would have laughed at myself and called myself a complete idiot and a joke. I would have. Yeah. And I am curious as to whether you encounter any other people who might have been that way or gone on a similar journey on your life. And if you think that this is a movement that's growing or is it retracting, is it something that you think 
will be uh, outside of a small spiritual or heart-centered community uh, begin to move out into the mainstream? What are your thoughts about some of that? Evan, I'm getting to you next. I sure would like to see it move more into the mainstream. Uh, It's tricky, though, because as you say, so many people like yourself, you you start to hear of these concepts and you just you just shut down. And so the goal really is to reach that mainstream audience. But there's so many people out there who have had interesting experiences. Maybe they, you know, had a dream about their father who had died, who gave them this very important information that they wouldn't have known otherwise. Maybe it was a situation where when they meet someone, they feel like they've known them before. What is that all about? Mm -hmm. These kind of experiences that happen all the time can be explained by the idea that our consciousness is fundamental, that our awareness is eternal, and that we come back again and again. And so this all sounds fantastical, but one key to this is the evidence that our awareness continues beyond death. If that awareness can be embedded into our world, no religious ideas involved with that, nothing about God, nothing that's really threatening beyond the idea that our awareness continues. I believe that once people realize how critical that awareness is, that they will uh, begin to to uh, understand the importance of it. And so all those people who've had these kind of experiences, whether in meditation or, uh, you know, during a dream or what have you, they'll be validated and they'll realize, oh, my gosh, my experience was real. There's a study out there that something like um, 35% of people or something like that have had these kind of experiences, but a huge majority of them won't talk about them mm-hmm. precisely for the kinds of reasons you're bringing up because mm-hmm. they'll be ridiculed mm-hmm. because they'll told it, be told it was a hallucination. Mm-hmm. We have evidence. These are not hallucinations. And so this is what we hope will start to bring the world around to realize how important it is to pay attention to that awareness Each of us is part of that. We often say, too, no soul left behind because every Mm. sentient being on this planet is a part of that one Mm. mind. And so it's critically important to the evolution of of all of this. And so some will move along more quickly than others. And uh, it's just got to happen, right? Modern political and cultural discourse not to mention our dominant economic drivers, flatly value human life based on contribution to the GDP or perhaps your net worth. I, I, I If you disagree with that, let me know. But that I, is the reality. We would agree. That's, yeah, that's that. the blo- I yeah. don't like it, but that's, nope. that's the world we live in <laughs> yes, or living in. Are you telling us, that it's time to throw that all away. Yes, we are. Yeah, there's time to throw a lot of it away. Yeah, I mean, the focus really should be on helping each other. It's not on profit. This is on people's lives improving. And all of us can contribute to improving the lives of all of our fellow citizens. So this is really just a shift of focus and, and putting a priority on some of those deepest lessons uh, of, of, you know, profound journeys, spontaneous epiphanies, near-death experiences, what have you, that show us this much bigger reality, but one it, in which it, we're all truly connected and responsible for each other. And it gets very practical. 
Because if we come back, if our awareness continues and we find ourselves back here on earth, potentially in a different body, that's mm -hmm. part of this, the reincarnation concept, we might want to take a little better care of our planet. Once that realization really sets in, we might want to be more conscious about climate change and uh, being being certain, you know, lots of people talk about how we need to, you know, address climate change so that future generations can enjoy Earth. That's what if those future generations are us, right? It just it's a little more personal of meaning mm -hmm. when you think you're the one who's going to come back mm -hmm. to this world mm -hmm. and you probably wow. want to leave it in a better place than you left it. Wow. And I think it really will shift how we think, you know, how when you go camping, you go into a national park, right? You mm -hmm. leave no trace. You bring everything out. Mm -hmm. We haven't done a very good job of that here on this planet. There are traces of humans all over this planet, trash and plastics. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so and all of this might be Not help. to mention, uh, you know, glo global uh, climate change from, through corporate greed, addiction to fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. These are all very important considerations for the future of our planet. And anybody who's paying any attention at all will realize, um, you know, the whole issue of climate change back in the 80s, we knew about it, but it seemed to be way off in the distant future. Nowadays, we know about it and we know it's happening today and yesterday and it's getting much worse. You know, this is not a time yes. to, to be focusing on the GDP and corporate greed. And, uh, you know, we got to take care of ourselves and this planet so we will have uh, this beautiful gift of a planet uh, for our descendants. And as Karen says, once you read the NDE literature, say at uvadops.org, start reading some of the, the literature on that, you realize it's inevitable that reincarnation is true. It's, or you can read our paper when it's finished. You can read our paper when it's done. We talk about some of this in Living in a Mindful Universe, mm -hmm. but the reality is, yes, uh, there are aspects of our uh, awareness today in these bodies today that will be living uh, you know, 100 and 200 years from now in other bodies, right. experiencing whatever we have left this world with. So wow. we need to take responsibility now. That is, yeah, that's, that's framing the whole issue in a very different fashion. I'll just leave it at that. Eben, you were talking earlier about quantum physics. What on earth do quantum physics have to do with your larger message? What? Explain. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying that, you know, the, the founding fathers of quantum physics, like Erwin Schrodinger and Wolfgang Pauli and uh, um, um, de Broglie, uh, you know, John von Neumann, uh, others, they all made statements uh, of the fundamental nature of consciousness. Because when you start studying the subatomic world and the, the world of quantum, what you end up of finding at a very deep level is none of that physical world exists independently of the mental choices of the observing scientist in the here and now. There's a way that it rises above the simplistic assumptions of materialist science, that consciousness and the awareness of the observer is something derivative from the substance of the brain. In fact, uh, pushed hard, modern materialist or conventional materialist neuroscientists would argue nobody has free will at all because it's all of conscious awareness is nothing more than an epiphenomenon or side effect 
of the chemical reactions and electron fluxes of substance of the in the brain. And all of those atoms and molecules are absolutely a quantum uh, entity. So our perceptions are ultimately due to quantum effects. Um, you know, when you compress the location of a, an ion in an ion channel, you invoke Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. That tight localization in space means the momentum vector is wide open by about 30%. The very firing of neurons is absolutely due to quantum effects. That's where the top-down notions of causality that we discuss uh, in, our, in our paper um, uh, come in. But it's, uh, there's a deep realization among scientists that has been going back to the beginning. In fact, physicists are some of the leaders in this deep understanding. Not it's, all the physicists. Not all of them. If they subscribe to the, that kind of nutty nonsense of the infinite parallel universes, many worlds interpretation of Hugh Everett from 1957, that the measurement paradox, you know, this intersection of the mind of the observer with that which is observed, uh, that measurement paradox is a deep mystery that's never been explained to anybody's satisfaction. There are at least 16 different scientific interpretations of that measurement paradox. And one that is uh, most adopted uh, by physicists around the world is many worlds interpretation. You know, but we don't seem to live in a world of infinite parallel universes where every junction point in time and space branches into a new universe. That's what that model has to do mm -hmm. to try and accommodate the findings of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that there's a much more facile way to interpret the findings of quantum physics uh, known as objective idealism where you, you come to an agreement about the existence of mind and that mind, the whole world is nothing more than something generated within that mental layer of the universe. And that is where all of this opens up tremendously. Quantum physics is totally crucial to understanding this because for one thing, it shows us the uh, kind of uh, fictional nature of the physical world around us that we all seem to agree exists out there. And yet one of the most fundamental findings of quantum physics is that there is no uh, agreed upon physical mm -hmm. world existing out there independently of the mind of the observer. Uh, we tie all this together in living in a mindful universe and we go even further in some of our current discussions. But quantum physics is essential to a deeper understanding of the nature of reality. I have to ask, hearing all of that too, then, what is the brain? What is the brain? The brain, the brain is an amazing device. Uh, it has, you know, 100 billion neurons, each one with 10,000 connections. When you do the math, it turns out that the number of states of that computer, considering all the ion channels and synaptic clefts, is more than the number of atoms in the known universe. That's why the brain can serve as such a beautiful filter for allowing certain quantum states of conscious expression. So the brain is not the creator of consciousness, but it serves as a filter. It's not even the repository of memory. That's one of the biggest nails in the coffin of conventional neuroscience, that we pretend that the brain is the storage place for memories. It is not. And that is something we go into in Living in a Mindful Universe. That's what helps take us to the next level. The brain is a filter that obtains experience and memory from the, the, basically a layer called the quantum hologram. It's an information layer of the universe. And that's where our consciousness truly resides. Uh, but uh, it's, it's all an extraordinary 
kind of vision of reality. But as I said, the scientific community is far along the pathway of being fully on board with this. If you want to find out more about everything I'm, I'm, I'm talking about now, you can read our book. You can go to GalileoCommission.org. Um, for the really brave of heart out there who really want to dive in deep and get one of the ultimate scientific texts on this, I would send you to the writings of Ed Kelly. Uh, he's uh, one of the leading researchers at UVA, and he's written Irreducible Mind. Irreducible Mind, his first book, second book, Beyond Physicalism, and then one from a few months ago, Consciousness Unbound. Those three books alone will absolutely rock your world. They are the scientific uh, evidence of where we're headed into the future. It has everything to do with the brain-mind relationship and an under a deeper understanding of the nature of reality. Uh, the good news for human beings is this understanding of science will unite us with the world of spirituality with a deep lesson of oneness, connectedness, and the infinite healing power of love. And that is a profound scientific principle that applies to what I would say is the most uh, important revolution in human thinking in our modern history, modern being the last 5,000 years. This is a world-changing development. It's led by the tip of the spear of uh, experiences like NDEs and other spiritual experiences, but they show us a much grander vision of who we are and what this universe is all about. That's why this, uh, this discussion is so crucial mm -hmm. to get out to the world. As we move towards wrapping this up, and we clearly could talk for 10, 15 more hours, but no one could listen that long, unless they really are in a different state of consciousness. The issue of ethics. One of the things that this show has been exploring is the decline of traditional religions as a cultural, social, and intellectual force in Western society. Those historical institutions have been, at least in name, the vanguards of ethics and morality in our culture. With them gone, and the emergence of alternative views of consciousness and spirit, how do you frame ethics? Well, first of all, I don't think religions are necessarily going to be gone, but they may need to revise, you know, how they, how they present their dogmatic teachings and so on. They'll, they'll be revised. But this idea of the golden rule, I think, is incredibly useful. And as Eben says, it's 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 embedded into the for the fabric of the universe through that life review, where you actually feel the feelings of others in events where maybe you hurt their feelings. You need to mm -hmm. feel that hurt back. Maybe you made them feel very very good. You'll feel that mm -hmm. love back. And uh, when this understanding, I mean, this understanding is a secular understanding. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in the world of business. Uh, the, this idea of the golden rule is in every single religious tradition out there. They have some way of saying that. This is where I think we'll find our ethics because it really is embedded in what we're talking about. If we're all part of one mind, then when we're hurting ourselves, when we're hurting another, we're hurting ourselves. And so that mm -hmm. ethics can come out of this way of thinking because if we are integrally connected like that in this worldview, we must take care of each other. Wow. 
What is your prophecy for the future? Well, I don't do prophecy. Well, all I can say is I'm very optimistic about where the world is headed. And I'm optimistic because of what I know about the scientific nature of the brain-mind relationship of this uh, tremendous revolution that is uh, inspired by quantum physics, neuroscience, philosophy of mind, uh, by the uh, all the uh, parapsychological evidence of non-local consciousness. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of scientific rigor that goes into this understanding. You were talking a little while ago about, you know, kind of the intellectual uh, side of this world and how important it is. Well, yes, if you want to be intellectually responsible, you realize that materialism and, and the false, bleak and paltry fiction it presents about, uh, you know, one incarnation and, and bodily death being the uh, end of existence is false. And it's very crucial for this world to wake up to the much bigger lessons that are offered by this. And as Karen said, this is not really about the end of religion. In fact, when you think about it, so much of this modern science of consciousness uh, in many ways supports the reality of religion because um, Some of it. In, at the deepest meditative traditions, I would say, because any of the superficial dogma uh, and, and kind of scripture that controls people and is not truly part of the original teachings of the, of the prophets, I think gets away from the oneness, the love, the compassion, the mercy that all of those prophets taught so passionately. And that is really something that if you could bring those back into religion in full force, and I, I will confess most of my experiences in the Methodist church and in the Episcopal church were really ones of, of loving and taking care of people and taking care of the least, the last, and the lost. I, I know other uh, you know people in religious uh, practice around the world maybe are not so kind of loving and compassionate for others. Uh, but essentially, this is the deepest lesson of NDEs. In fact, there's a book by a friend of ours, Christopher Copps, C-O-P-P-E-S. He is Dutch. Uh, he wrote a beautiful book called The Essence of Religions. It's based on his work as a near-death experiencer, knowing the deep truths that we portray about near-death experiences. And what he does is he talks about all the major religions and how at the core of their teachings, at the core of their prayer and practice of love and oneness and connection and caring for others uh, is, is a deep uh, truth that is supported fully by near-death experience. But he also goes through the religions and he identifies which of each fit the NDE model. Wow. And it's really interesting because they all seem to have a piece of it. Yeah. yeah. And yet what we're saying is the NDEs are kind of the tip of the spear. They, they bring this incredible body of knowledge and understanding about the bigger spiritual reality of this universe that is absolutely unifying. And when you realize it has a scientific basis, in fact, the only way forward for science to understand quantum physics is a full-blown uh, understanding of objective idealism and how this top-down causality works in the universe. Karen, you said you have two prophecies. We want to hear them. I said, what I said was I don't do prophecies. <laughs> oh, then I totally misheard. I think yeah, I wanted to I hear like two prophecies. prophecies. Yeah, yeah. But I do have, uh, you know, I do have this this hope. And that is that this idea of love, you know, you kind of said, ah, heart consciousness, blah, blah. But so many of us will say things like, well, love is all there is. And love is the most important thing. And so many times, especially in a hardship or when you lose a loved one or you're on your own deathbed, that's when that love, or when a baby's born, that's when that love really comes forth. 
But if love is the most important thing, and you look around our world, it doesn't seem like we've really truly integrated the most important thing into our daily kind of society. And so I imagine a world where everyone understands how to kind of feel into their heart and consciously understand what's being broadcast to the world around them and really make an effort to feel that kind of loving energy in their hearts because it influences the people around you. So if you can imagine a world where every doctor and healthcare worker, when they're helping you, has that kind of feeling in their heart, it's amazing healing energy. They don't have to say a word. But imagine if every parent knew the same thing <clears throat> as they were raising their children, especially through those very challenging years as, as I had in, when my daughter was a teen. But imagine if bus drivers and teachers and, and all of us just knew how to feel that energy. That's when the world will change. That's when we'll start to see because as each of us pays attention to our inner world and our individual external world starts to shift, the more and more of us who do that the more that the entire outer world will start to shift. So we've got a, a lot to do. And the, the most we can really do to help others is to model this, you know, talking about it, telling people that's not going to make a difference. We need to model it. We need to meet people where they are and, you know, bring them just one step on the process and not necessarily all the way there. It's a lot for some people who are really in a particular belief system to suddenly realize that, it's all wrong. You know, that's going to be a lot of existential crises going on. And, uh, but we can all come through it together. Where can people find out more about both of you? Several, well, several yeah. places. We have ebenalexander.com where you can get on Eben's mailing list, which he rarely uses, but, but occasionally. I'll be using more yeah, and there's after we books, finish our paper. Information about the books and all. And then sacredacoustics.com is where you can find out more about audio the audio technology you mentioned early on. But uh, United in Hope and Healing.com is a website that Eben and I set up at about uh, in early 2020, when the COVID pandemic shutdowns were just beginning and all of our travel was canceled, we began a webinar series where all of the people we normally would have seen on our travels joined us. Uh, every other week, we had a different guest. All of that is archived, and we have amazing conversations about all of these topics with researchers, with experiencers, with people who really know this field of interest about past life memories and uh, near-death experience and so on. Uh, shared death experience, all kinds of things. So unitedinhopeandhealing.com is where you can register. It's all free and you can have access to all those archives. And that's where you'll hear about anything in the future we might be uh, working on. Love it. Eben and Karen, it has been great taking a ride with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone tuning in, if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple or a comment on YouTube. And see you next time for another trip down the Purpose Highway. When you're racing down the Purpose Highway, we want to make sure you're healthy and happy every step of the way. That's why we're proud to partner with It's Nola, 21st century plant-based healthy granola snack bites made with real ingredients 
and audacious flavor. It's Nola crafts small batch hand rolled granola balls that are vegan, gluten free, and naturally low in sugar. Locally made in Brooklyn, It's Nola's delightful bites come in three flavors. Luscious cranberry coconut, sassy mango masala, and dark, decadent, chewy chocolate. It's Nola is available to both individual customers and for wholesale accounts at itsnola.com. That's I-T-S-N-O-L-A.com. Guests on this show are already enjoying this delicious snack. Check out It's Nola's website for yourself and find out how good it is.